Hey there, skinny peeps. Welcome to the Skinny with Jesus. Today is May 16th, 2018, and we are going to be wrapping up our current series, okay? Providence versus coincidence. We've been doing this for a few weeks now. I am so excited to share with you just what God has been showing me this week. My name is Bevan Caramello, and I'm so glad you've tuned in. If this is your first time with us, you can also find us on Facebook. Just search the Skinny with Jesus in Facebook and then add yourself there. We would really love to have you. Okay, here we go. Providence versus coincidence. I have loved this series and I've loved being in the Old Testament uh, in the book of Esther. God has just been showing me his fingerprints all over my life, even in the regular old daily grind while um, we've been discussing this. Like I really just, I see him all over everything. And um, there's an interesting little fact about Esther that I want to share with you guys about the book of Esther. So God's name isn't actually in it anywhere. Okay. His name is nowhere in the book of Esther, but his fingerprints are all over it. And I think that's just another way that he reveals his providence. He's there even when we can't see him. Right. And and so that's kind of what I've been thinking about, just the in the nitty-gritty and the daily grind and everything that's happening in my life. He keeps revealing himself to me and showing me. See, my fingerprints are there. I was there. When I look back in hindsight, I can see he was there. And so the question really becomes: will we trust him even when we can't see him? Will we trust that he's working behind the scenes for our good, even when life gets hard, even when it it feels like he's distant. You know, will we trust his providence over our lives? And maybe more importantly, will we continue to live for him when we don't see him, when we don't feel him working? Will we continue to serve him? Will we continue to obey him, to love him? Today, we are going to take a look at how God deals with our enemies. I've got a bunch of scripture for you because um, we're going to have to go back a bit so we can understand the feud that we're looking at today in Esther. So to start, I want you guys to turn with me to the book of Esther. We're going to start in chapter three. I'm going to read you guys verses one through six, and then we'll unpack it just a little bit before we go on to our next uh, set of scripture. Okay. Esther three verses one through six. It says, after these events, King Xerxes honored Haman, son of Hamadatha, the Agagite. Man, that's a mouthful. Okay. Elevating him and giving him a seat of honor higher than that of all the other nobles. All the royal officials at the king's gate knelt down and paid honor to Haman, for the king had commanded this concerning him. But Mordecai would not kneel down or pay him honor. Remember, Mordecai is the um, cousin of Esther, and he raised Esther. He was like a father to Esther, okay? Then the royal officials at the king's gate asked Mordecai, why do you disobey the king's command? Day after day, they spoke to him, but he refused to comply. Therefore, they told Haman about it to see whether Mordecai's behavior would be tolerated, for he had told them he was a Jew. 
When Haman saw that Mordecai would not kneel down or pay him honor, he was enraged. Yet, having learned who Mordecai's people were, he scorned the idea of killing only Mordecai. Instead, Haman looked for a way to destroy all Mordecai's people, the Jews, throughout the whole kingdom of Xerxes, which was basically the whole world at the time, guys. Um, it was the, the empire of Persia. We've heard of the Persian Empire. This is it. And um, Haman is second in command only to King Xerxes. And because of an old feud between Haman's people and Mordecai's people, that's what I'm going to show you guys in the Bible here in just a minute. He not only wants to wipe out Mordecai, but he wants to wipe out, he wants to exterminate all the Jews. Okay? So I want to show you in our Bibles why this thing happening here is so much bigger than just what we see here, okay? So turn with me to the book of Deuteronomy. Let me find my place. We are going to be in chapter 25. I'm going to read you guys verses 17 through 19. If you've got your Bibles, I'll give you a second to get there. If not, no worries. I'm going to read it, okay? Deuteronomy 25, 17 through 19. Remember what... The Amalekites did to you along the way when you came out of Egypt. When you were weary and worn out, they met you on your journey and cut off all who were lagging behind. They had no fear of God. When the Lord your God gives you rest from all the enemies around you in the land he is giving you to possess as an inheritance, you shall blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. Do not forget Okay, so this is God speaking to the Israelites here through Moses. And um, if you guys want to read more about this feud, the full story is in Exodus chapter 17. But you guys, the short of it here is that Haman was um, an Amalekite. Okay, he was an Amalekite. Uh, scholars think he was. Okay, so hang in here with me just another minute. Um, this is going to get good. I'm going to tie this all together for us. Hopefully, I'm going to attempt to. Okay, turn to the book of 1 Samuel, still in the Old Testament. And we're going to be in chapter 15. Okay. 1 Samuel 15, verses 1 through 3, and then I'm going to read 7 through 9. Samuel said to Saul, I am the one the Lord sent to anoint you king over his people Israel. So listen now to the message from the Lord. This is what the Lord Almighty says. I will punish the Amalekites for what they did to Israel when they waylaid them as they came up from Egypt. Okay, so this is the same story here that's being repeated in, in Samuel through Samuel, okay? Now go attack the Amalekites and totally destroy everything that belongs to them. Do not spare them. Put to death men and women, children and infants, cattle and sheep, camels and donkeys. Then seven through nine says, then Saul attacked the Amalekites all the way from Havilah to Shur to the east of Egypt. He took Agag, king of the Amalekites, alive, and all his people he totally destroyed with the sword. But Saul and the army spared Agag and the best of the sheep and cattle, the fat calves and lambs, everything that was good. These they were unwilling to destroy completely, but everything that was despised and weak they totally destroyed. Okay, so 
historical significance here, spiritual significance here is the the gist of it is is that the Amalekites um, they took out Israel, some of the Israelites, when the Israelites were fleeing Egypt, okay, hundreds of years earlier. And so because of that, because they they didn't have mercy on them as they were, you know, crossing through their lands, um, God basically says that later they're going to be wiped out, okay, completely wiped out. Saul did not do this completely, okay? Right here we see partial obedience, which we all know is actually disobedience, right? Partial obedience is disobedience. And Saul, he wipes out almost everybody, but he doesn't kill the king. And he keeps all of the best sheep and cattle and lambs. And he says that he's doing this to sacrifice to the Lord, but God knows his real heart. He wanted, he plundered um, the people and he took what was best from them. Okay. So cool thing here, the way we're tying this in today, you guys said this feud between Mordecai and Haman, it runs deep. Mordecai is a descendant of Saul's and Haman is a descendant of Agag, the king of the Amalekites that Saul allowed to live. Okay. So right here we see this feud that goes way, way back. Okay, and the Amalekites are known enemies of God's people, the Jews. And now Haman is unleashing that hatred and fury that's buried deep in him. Okay, he's he's unleashing that over an entire nation of people. This is a form of prejudice that, you know, this racism that goes way, way deep, it runs deep in him. Who knows how many generations this has been handed down to Haman? Okay, he's evil. Haman, he's evil and he's in power. That's a scary combination, right? But we're going to see God is at work, okay? He is in this. Remember what we've learned the past couple of weeks. God is bringing his own warrior into this fight, right? Our little Jewish orphan girl that grew up and was made queen of Persia. Okay, and she is about to step into the calling that is on her life. Okay, let's go back to Esther. We're going to be in chapter six. Okay, I want you guys to see just a little bit more as this is all God is putting all of these things into motion. Okay, so chapter six, verses one and three, one through three, sorry, says that night. The king, we're talking about Xerxes here. Okay, we're back in Esther. That night, the king could not sleep. So this is the night after the first banquet that Esther threw for Xerxes with Xerxes and Haman there. That night, the king could not sleep. So he ordered the book of the Chronicles, the record of his reign to be brought in and read to him. It was found recorded there that Mordecai had exposed Bigthana and Teresh, two of the king's officers who guarded the doorway, who had conspired to assassinate King Xerxes. This is King Xerxes talking here. He says, what honor and recognition was Mordecai, has Mordecai received for this? The king asked. Okay, verse, let's see. All right, let's stop there for a second. Okay, so the king can't sleep, you guys. Esther is about to make her big move. She's thrown one banquet. At that banquet, he asks her what her request is. And instead of delivering it right away, she says, my request is that you come to another banquet tomorrow night that I'm going to throw for you. She really is trying to stress the importance here of what it is that she has to say. But here he is that night after that banquet, and he can't sleep. You guys, providence or coincidence? 
We know the answer, right? We know the answer. It's providence. He wants to look at the book of Chronicles, which are the events of his reign as king. And he just happens to stumble upon the writings, the recording in these in this book of Mordecai having exposed an, assassina- an assassination attempt on his life. Here we are again. Providence or coincidence? We're always going to have to make a choice when we're faced with that question. We know it's providence. And Mordecai, they, Xerxes realizes that Mordecai was never rewarded or honored for this. Okay? Let's keep going. Uh, chapter 6, verses 6 through 10. It says, okay, so now um, the king has called Haman in from the outside um, court. Okay. When Haman entered, the king asked him, what should be done for the man the king delights to honor? Now Haman thought to himself, who is there that the king would rather honor than me? Okay. So right here we see Haman thinks the king is talking about him. He doesn't know that the king has just stumbled across this place in history where Mordecai was never honored, okay? Because this this assassination attempt was right after um, Esther was made queen. So this was a while back, okay? It says, um, I lost my place. Okay, verse 8. Haman says, so he answered the king, for the man the king delights to honor, have them bring a royal robe to the king that the king has worn and a horse the king has ridden, one with a royal crest placed on its head. Then let the robe and horse be entrusted to one of the king's most noble princes. Let them robe the man the king delights to honor. Again, remember Haman thinks that's him and lead him on the horse through the city streets proclaiming before him. This is what is done for the man the king delights to honor. You guys, (laughs) remember, Haman thinks that the king is about to honor him, okay? He doesn't know that the king is actually looking for a way to honor Mordecai. All right, let's hop down to chapter 7, okay? After all of this, Haman has to lead Mordecai through the city on one of the king's horses, dressed in one of the king's robes, exclaiming, that the king is honoring this man, right? And and everybody would be aware of this feud. Everybody would be aware. I mean, th- this was a huge, huge humiliation for Haman. Okay. Chapter 7, verses 1 through 7. All right. So after all this happens, now Haman has to return back to the palace for the second banquet with King Xerxes and Esther. So the king and Haman went to dine with Queen Esther. And as they were drinking wine on that second day, the king asked again, Queen Esther, what is your petition? It will be given to you. What is your request? Even up to half the kingdom, it will be granted. That was a saying back then. It basically meant like, I'll give you the world. I'll do anything you ask, right? Then Queen Esther answered, If I have found favor with you, O king, and if it pleases your majesty, grant me my life. This is my petition and spare my people. This is my request for I and my people have been sold for destruction and slaughter and annihilation. If we had merely been sold as male and female slaves, I would have kept quiet because no such distress would justify disturbing the king. She's really buttering it up here. She's like, this is, this is huge. I wouldn't even have bothered you if we were just going to be slaves, but they want to slaughter us. King Xerxes asked Queen Esther. Remember, King Xerxes approved this decree, but he doesn't know Esther is a Jew, okay? The Jews at this time were were very secular Jews. They were living 
right in the heart of Persia and they blended in. And I think that's something we need to realize here. God's people blended in to all the worldly people around them. And God has never called his people to blend in. Okay, so here he is giving Esther and Mordecai and all of the Jews an opportunity to choose to stand out for him, but they're going to have to claim him. Okay, let's keep going. Chapter seven, I'll pick it up. Where were we? Um, Verse five. Okay. It says, King Xerxes asked Queen Esther, who is he? Where is the man who has dared to do such a thing? Esther said, the adversary and enemy is this vile Haman. Remember, Haman's at dinner with them at the second banquet for the second night in a row. Then Haman was terrified before the king and queen. The king got up in a rage, left his wine, and went out into the palace garden. But Haman, realizing that the king had already decided his fate, stayed behind to beg Queen Esther for his life. Okay, now let's see. Verses 9 and 10. Let's keep going. We'll just finish this out. Then Harbona... One of the eunuchs attending the king said, A gallows 75 feet high stands by Haman's house. He had it made for Mordecai, who spoke up to help the king. Remember, okay, so if you've read through Esther at all, um, or if you haven't, go back and read. You'll see that he plans to have Mordecai hung on these gallows, okay? The king said, Hang him on it. So they hanged Haman on the gallows he had prepared for Mordecai. Mordecai. Then the king's fury subsided. You guys, coincidence that Haman was hanged on the very gallows he'd had built for Mordecai? Coincidence or providence? Right? Okay, turn with me to one last place in the book of Esther. Chapter 8, verses 1 and 2. That same day, King Xerxes gave Queen Esther the estate of Haman, the enemy of the Jews, and Mordecai came into the presence of the king, for Esther had told how he was related to her. So the king's starting to put all the pieces together now, guys. Verse 2, the king took off his signet ring, which he had reclaimed from Haman. Remember, he'd given it to Haman a while back in our story, which is how Haman was able to um, sign the edict from the king to annihilate the Jews. He's he's hanged Haman on the gallows he had built for Mordecai, and he's, he's reclaimed that ring. So the king took off his signet ring, which he had reclaimed from Haman, and presented it to Mordecai, and Esther appointed him over Haman's estate. Now, Mordecai is holding the king's ring. You guys, I mean, it's literally, it's it's still warm from Haman's finger. That's how quick this happened. That's how soon this is after all of this. And Mordecai is given Haman's entire estate. I mean, you talk about God turning the tables. Remember our conversation we had just a couple weeks ago about God turning the tables and that his reversal will always mean his deliverance. We see it right here. Just a second. I'm going to grab a drink of water. Okay, so this whole scenario, this whole thing with Mordecai and Haman, as I studied it, I just couldn't help but get to thinking about so many, and we've all been there, those who have wronged me or my loved ones in this life, different times for different reasons, you know, um, some some worse than others. But I really tried to, started trying to think about those evil, vile Hamans of the world. 
just really got me thinking about this one question. Do we trust God to deal with our enemies? Do we trust God to deal with our enemies? You know, do we believe that he is fair and just, perfectly fair and just all the time? Our pastor said something in church a few weeks ago that really stuck with me. He said, so often we want to issue judgment and justice, but in our humanness, we aren't able to do this adequately. And I just couldn't help but think how true this is for me. You know, I so often think a person should be punished a certain way or faster than it appears to be happening. And I want to step in and I want to dole out the punishment. I want to step in and and make sure these people, whoever it is, in whatever situation it is, maybe they've wronged me, maybe they've wronged my kids. Maybe it's a teacher that's hurt my child's feelings. And I want to get them back for that. You know, it's just not happening the way I think it should. Maybe I haven't even taken the time to pray about it. Maybe I haven't even taken the time to lift it up and and ask God to deal with it. But of course, you know, it occurred to me that with my limited view of this life that I'm living and whatever that situation may be that I'm dealing with at the time, how in the world can I still somehow believe that I know best? How can I really think that God's not working on my behalf fast enough, right? He's God. His timing is perfect. Okay, but I don't want to leave us here. There are some very clear, very encouraging places in Scripture um, about how God sees injustice and how he sees the wrongs that are done to his children, okay? So I want to look at um, a few of these before we wrap it up. Um, Turn with me to Psalm 37. I want to read you guys verses 5 through 7. It says, Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in Him, and He will do this. He will make your righteousness shine like the dawn, the justice of your cause like the noonday sun. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Do not fret. When men succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes. And he's telling us right there in this psalm, we have to wait patiently for him. He's going to come through. Don't fret. Let him handle this. Don't fret when, it says, don't fret when men succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes. In other words, it doesn't say if this happens. It says when, when men succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes. In other words, like we can, we can count on it. It's going to happen. But do not fret. You guys, he says that phrase three times in Psalm 37. Do not fret. He's saying, let me deal with it. I'm there. I'm in this. Okay, let's look at um, a verse in Deuteronomy that really just jumped out at me when I was preparing for our conversation today. It's in Deuteronomy 28. Okay, I want to read us verse 7 first. It says, The Lord will grant that the enemies who rise up against you will be defeated before you. They will come at you from one direction, but flee from you in seven. Okay, now I want us to jump up to the top of this chapter and look at verse 1. Still in 28, jump from verse 7 up to verse 1. 
says, If you fully obey the Lord, your God, and carefully follow all his commands, I give you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. So who's this for? Okay, verse 7, what we read, that, that deliverance from our enemies, where it says the Lord will grant that the enemies who rise up against you will be defeated before you. Who's this for? You guys, we find that in verse 1. It's for those who obey the Lord and follow his commands. And you guys, this doesn't mean that we're going to do that perfectly. He obviously knew we couldn't. He knew we weren't capable of always following his commands, of always obeying him. No matter how hard we tried, we'd never get that right. That's why he sent his son to die for us, to atone for our sin. Thank you, Lord Jesus. But ultimately, he knows our hearts. He knows the deepest desires of our hearts. And if our hearts are for him, to obey him and follow him and choose him, he tells us right here that our enemies will rise up. Not that they might rise up. (laughs) They will rise up. But he also says they will rise up and will be defeated. Okay, guys, last bit for today. Let's wrap it up in the book of Joshua. Just one chapter, one book over from Deuteronomy. We're going to be in Joshua 21, and I want us to look at verses 43 and 45. It says, So the Lord gave Israel all the land he had sworn to give their forefathers, and they took possession of it and settled there. The Lord gave them rest on every side, just as he had sworn to their forefathers. Not one of their enemies withstood them. The Lord handed all all their enemies over to them. Not one of the Lord's good promises to the house of Israel failed. Every one was fulfilled. Not one of his promises failed, you guys. Not one. He's not a God that does things part way or part of the way. Every one of those promises was and will be fulfilled. You can take it to the bank. We pray with me. Oh, Father God, Lord, I thank you for this message today. Um, I praise you for being a God who deals with our enemies, who knows where we are weak, who knows where we can't deal with the things that come at us, that are thrown at us. But you promise, Lord, in your word that you'll deal with it for us. That those who rise up against us and come at us in one direction, they're going to flee from us in seven directions, Lord. You're going to scatter them. I thank you, Lord. Um, I needed this message today from you. You know what we're all up against, Lord. You know the enemies that we're facing, the conflict that we're dealing with. I thank you, Lord, that your word is true and trustworthy and that you are faithful to answer and fulfill every single one of your promises made to your children. Lord, I pray that you would um, just reach out and touch the heart of every person listening 
to this message, Lord. I pray that you would meet them right in the middle of whatever it is that they're going through, whatever they're dealing with. Lord, I thank you for leading them here to the skinny. I pray, Lord, that they would um, find you here and that this would be a safe place for them uh, to come and grow and, and learn about you. Lord, I ask that you would carry us through the coming week and bring us all back together again uh, for next week's message, Lord. Um, It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening with us today, guys. I am praying for you and yours this week. Remember, new series starts next week. It's going to be good. You're not going to want to miss it. Bye now.